This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Ariana Cordova. And I'm Brad Lewis. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, in this special edition of Generation Justice, we are highlighting the 2024 legislative session. This year's 30-day session will mainly be focused on the budget and budget issues. We are joined by Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino, who will discuss his lifelong work and his plans for what will be his final session after more than 20 years as New Mexico legislator. We are also joined by Senator Linda Lopez, who discusses her focus for this session and the important legislation she will be supporting. We also bring you an interview with Andres Esquivel, the campaign's manager with New Mexico Dream Team. They will be discussing the Dignity Not Detention Act that the New Mexico Dream Team is supporting this session. And we'll have some more updates on viral illnesses to share with you all. Don't miss our vaccine equity segment. Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino has represented District 12 in the New Mexico State Senate for 20 years. During his time as a state senator, social worker, and director with the city of Albuquerque, he has done much to benefit our community. As his final session begins, we wanted to discuss with him what could be expected from this year's session. Here is Sahen Rubalcava speaking with Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino. We hope you enjoy. This is Sahin Rubalcaba with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino. He has served in the New Mexico State Senate for 20 years, representing District 12 in Albuquerque. He was first elected in 2004. Senator Ortiz Pino is a retired social worker with over 40 years of social work experience in New Mexico. He has led several efforts, including New Mexico Advocates for Children and Families, also known as New Mexico Voices. He also served as the director for the City of Albuquerque's Department of Family and Community Services. Senator Ortiz Pino currently serves as chairman of the Senate Health and Public Affairs Committee and as chairman of the Interim Committee on Health and Human Services and is also a member of the Senate Rules Committee. He is on the Interim Water and Natural Resources Committee and the Land Grant Committee. Senator Ortiz Pino, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you, Sahin. Please tell us more about yourself. Well, I was born in Santa Fe. Uh, like you, I'm a Santa Fean. Uh, went to St. Michael's in Santa Fe. Uh, came to UNM. Uh, graduated with a degree in Latin American studies. And then I went to School of Social Work at Tulane University in New Orleans and got a master's in social work. When I came back to New Mexico, I, I've not left since then. That was in 1968 that I came back. And I've been working here ever since. So I worked in uh, Las Cruces, Las Vegas, Taos, Santa Fe, and for the last uh, 40 years, Albuquerque. Since uh, 1977, I've been in Albuquerque. And um, uh, I worked in a whole bunch of different agencies and settings. Uh, the one that right before my retirement uh, I was in most recently was uh, from 1997 to 2001, I was a City of Albuquerque's Director of Family and Community Service. And then after that, I uh, uh, retired. And uh, uh, eventually in 2004, 
I ran for and won the Senate seat that was vacated by uh, Senator Richard Romero, my predecessor. Uh, he had left the seat to run for the Senate and I took his place. So I've been in the Senate since 2000 and, and uh, we've had ups and downs as everybody does, but uh, I think over the years, uh, you know, it's been mostly up. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, part of me doesn't want to leave yet, but after 20 years and I'm in my 80s now, and it's time I think to, to let younger generation of legislators uh, take the leadership and I'll step aside. It's really interesting. So you've worked all over New Mexico. That's amazing. Yes, yeah, no, I, I traveled around a lot. What can we expect in this year's legislative session? Well, you know, it's a budget year. And so we're, we're pretty much limited to two things. Uh, items that would affect the budget that would be uh, an appropriation or require money or a tax bill or items that the governor says, here's some other stuff I'd like you to take a look at. So um, I think for the most part, we're gonna be focusing on money, but there are some other things that the governor will ask us to get into. And um, my interests uh, generally are not on the budget as much. I, I'm not on the finance committee. So I spend most of my time working on health legislation, behavioral health, programs that affect youth and families. And lately, a, a real interest of mine is geothermal energy, trying to develop New Mexico's geothermal energy resource. Interesting. Could you speak a little bit more on geothermal energies? Sure. Um, you know, we, we want to have a sustainable, clean in energy source in the state. And we've relied so far on wind and solar, and they produce increasing amounts of electricity that New Mexico uses. Uh, our goal is to be energy independent, however, and the problem is that the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. And so we need probably somewhere between 10 to 15% of our energy supply from another energy source. You know, some people are trying to do that with batteries or nuclear, I think, the, uh, or hydrogen, some people suggest that. I think the, the safest, best in the long run is geothermal, that is the heat that's inside the earth. When we can tap that heat and produce electricity by using it to heat water and, dry, and drive steam turbines, we have something that never stops. It's available round the clock every day of the year and that does not produce any emissions whatsoever. We already have one small geothermal uh, generating station down in Animas near, uh, in the boot hill near Lordsburg. And they've done a test well there and they find that if they can drill down to a relatively, sounds deep, but it's a relatively short distance, a 16 to 18,000 feet, they reach rock that is hot enough to boil water. And if it's that hot, we can make electricity from it. So the technology is there now. We know how to drill that deep. We have drill bits that Sandia developed that can withstand the heat and the hard rock without being ground to nothing. And it's just a question now of getting the incentives in place to make it exciting for companies to produce electricity. There are literally hundreds of places in New Mexico where the crust of the earth is thin enough that we could actually drill at a relatively cheap expense and, and have this source of energy available to generate electricity. And that's what we're trying to develop with this bill. Okay, thank you. That that's very interesting. I wasn't too aware of our yeah. in the ish in the 
on that bill. So I'm, thank you yeah. for that. We have on on our on, our, on the website uh, the uh, geothermal New Mexico geothermal uh, website lots of information about how this could be developed. And the thing about it is once it's in place, once you've built, drilled the well and put in place the generating capacity, it just goes from then on. You don't have to haul in more coal. You don't have to figure out what to do with the carbon emissions. You don't have to worry about the price of natural gas jumping and making it uneconomical. It's there, always there. When you don't need it, you just stop generating. When you need it, you start generating. Just perfect. What specific legislation are you sponsoring this year other than? We have two geothermal bills. That one that, I, that would set up the Office of Geothermal Development at the Energy, Minerals, and Natural Resources Department and create two, two incentive funds, one for grants to universities and, and uh, state departments that need money for matching federal money. And the other one is for uh, loans to companies that want to drill and build these facilities to help them get started. That's one bill. The other bill is tax credits to give them a break on the taxes so that when they drill and produce electricity, uh, we can get it at, at the most economical rate possible for, for five years at least. That, that would be in place for five years to provide an incentive. But besides that, I'm working on a constitutional amendment on Children, Youth, and Families Department that would pull it from out from under the secretary. It wouldn't be part of the governor's cabinet anymore. And it would create a new state commission of children, youth, and families. And the three commissioners, one would be named by the governor, one by the speaker of the house, one by the Senate president pro tem. They would serve staggered six-year terms. So we have some continuity. And that would, we think, depoliticize and professionalize the department. It wouldn't be turning over. We've had three secretaries of CYFD in the last four years. When you've got that kind of turnover, you're always going in different directions and it becomes really hard to tell, are they having problems because we're changing so much so fast or are they having problems because there's something basically wrong there? And that's what we would try to get away from. And we would try to rebuild the public's confidence in this department by bringing in to a new start with professionals running it, professionals in child psychiatry, child development, social work, any of those fields related to family development, mm -hmm. pediatricians, for example, any of, any, of, any of the fields that really relate to how children grow up and are reared in this environment. And then they would hire an executive director to run it. Um, the timing is such that if we could get it past this session, the voters would vote on it in November. And hopefully then, um, the 2025 session of the legislature would pass a bill implementing this amendment, putting in all the details, all the, the bells and whistles about who goes where and when, and we could get it off the ground by the start of January in 2027. That's, that's the time frame we're hoping for. That would be the end of the uh, Grisham, uh, Luhan Grisham administration. And it would be the start of a brand new governor's administration, but we would do it without the governor appointing the director. The, this commission would, and the commission would hold monthly meetings open to the public where they would make the decisions about the department and its policies. Then I have several other bills that I, that I, I could mention to you that I'm proposing. Uh, one is a bill that comes out of a work of a Supreme Court commission, the New Mexico State Supreme Court has been studying what happens when people come into court, they're, they're, they're 
arrested by the police for some kind of small public nuisance misdemeanor, peeing in public, um, sleeping in somebody's doorway, taking off your clothes and yelling at the moon at midnight, stuff like that, that that's clearly indicating, yeah, it's, it's a, and maybe breaking windows, stuff like that, where people complain about it, the police arrest them, they come to court, they're clearly mentally ill or drunk or addicted, and so the judge dismisses the charges and they're right back out on the street again. You can't put somebody like that in jail, but you, but if we just release them, then they're right back out yelling at the moon at midnight without any clothes on again. And, and you don't have, you haven't changed anything. Pretty soon the cops get tired of arresting people that don't, it doesn't do any good. The public gets tired of it. And you have this big crisis in what we have now, people seeing homelessness as itself a crime. Now to avoid that, what we would like to do is have the judge have another option that they don't have under existing law of ordering treatment. You're clearly mentally ill, sir. You have to get into treatment. After you complete the treatment, come back and we'll see if I, if I have any reason to keep a, a charge. I can dismiss the charge if you've gotten your act together and are able to function. That's what we would like to do, change that law. It's called the competency statutes and we wanna make some changes to give judges more discretion in ordering, mandating treatment for mental illness, for addiction and for alcoholism. Then I have a bill that came out of our interim committee's work that, that deals with the issue that's blocking most of our efforts at improving behavioral health care in this state. Uh, in New Mexico, we have facilities, for example, Turquoise Lodge here in Albuquerque, which is the state alcohol treatment facility. It operates, it, it's a 42 bed facility. It operates at slightly over half capacity with a waiting list. And why? Because they can't hire enough staff to fully operate it at the full capacity. And we ran into that at the state hospital in Las Vegas, at the, uh, all the facilities of the state are operating under capacity because of a shortage of trained professionals. But that comes up at the city level, comes up in other departments of state government, children, youth and families, for example, has that 26% vacancy rate that I mentioned and it plagues the private agencies too. They're all competing for a small number, too small a number of professionals in counseling and social work and psychology and psychiatric nursing to get the job done. So our committee took a look at that all summer. We, we had different ideas and we put together a package of four or five things that we think would help. One is we would like to make graduate programs in those four fields, counseling, psychology, psychiatric nursing, and social work free no tuition charge. If you want to, if you have a bachelor's degree and you want to get into the master's program, you don't have to pay tuition. That might be that we just extend the opportunity scholarship to that those programs, or it might be a totally new program. We're trying to work with higher ed on that. But the point is to give us an incentive. After you've got a degree through that program, you'd have to work in the state for at least two or three years. Stay here and, and, and pay back the state with your service. And then we begin hoping that by raising the salaries, we have to do that as well, of those fields, the reimbursement through Medicaid and the salaries for those who are state employees, we could retain them. Because if we're spending, we're just spinning our wheels if we spend a lot of money training people and then they go off to Texas or Colorado or California to, to work. We haven't helped ourselves much with that. So we wanna raise the salaries and the reimbursement to keep them here 
but we want to give more training. We need a new school of social work in the state besides the ones that already exist. Uh, we have one at Highlands, one at Western, one at New Mexico State. One at Eastern has a bachelor's level program. We're trying to get them to be a master's level program. And then we want to create a master's in social work program at UNM. It's the largest university in the country that doesn't have a social work program. Why not? It makes no sense not to have social work training here. We need all that we already have plus more. So if we could do that, we would start making a dent, we think in, oh, and then the loan payback. We want to increase the loan reimbursement. A lot of people who've already been trained still owe a lot of money for their education. And this would be, if you come work for the state of New Mexico, we'll, or maybe we could even broaden it. If you're working in the state of New Mexico, even if it's for a private agency, you can get and apply for it. And, and, and if you're chosen, selected, you get part of your uh, educational loan forgiven by this uh, fund. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of important work. Um, it's very cool to hear your voice. It's, uh, you sound very passionate about your, the work that you do. And uh, thank you for doing that. What concerns, if any, do you have for this legislative session? Well, you know, we have so much money. <laughs> this is, it's like we're never satisfied, right? Five years ago, we were complaining we didn't have enough money. Now we're complaining that we have too much money. But the problem is that when you have that much money from oil and gas, it's coming in from oil and gas, and we know that oil and gas is, a, is not the future, the long-range future for oil and gas is not real bright. We're not going to be able to rely on, on this revenue stream for much beyond the next five to 10 years at most. And then the price will drop. People will, will start using electric cars. We'll have less and less demand. So the price is uh, the number of, of, of oil wells drilled will drop. We won't be producing as much and the state won't have that money anymore. We need to make provision for the future. When that happens, how are we going to pay the bills for our schools? in our healthcare, for our prisons and our public safety, our highways, all the rest of it that we're using oil and gas money for now. And in the past, when we've had big surpluses like we have right now, and I'll tell you how big the surplus is, we have a, a budget of about $10 billion a year, general fund in the state, not counting the federal money that comes in for specific programs, but 10 billion is what we're spending in the budget this year and next year, it'll go up to maybe 10 and a half billion, five to 10% increase. When you're spending that much and you still have every year, two to $3 billion extra that's been accumulating so that we now have probably almost 50% reserves in the state. That is revenue over and above what we're spending that came into the state that we've tucked under the mattresses and behind the couch cushions and into the coffee cans in the in the pantry. We're sticking all that money in different places, trying to make sure it doesn't go away. The, the danger is people will start saying, well, let's spend it. Let's, let's get it out the door and spend it right now. And in a few, or alternatively, let's spend it by cutting taxes, which is a way of giving the money back. It's also spending it. When you're doing that, you make the mistake that we've made in the past in this state, and that is then, then all of a sudden you have a shortage. Price of oil drops or the production drops, and now we don't have the same revenue coming in, and we don't have any cushion anymore. So then we have to cut services or reduce expenditures on important things. So that's what we're trying to walk that fine line between 
spending it all right away or saving a little bit for the future and how do you stretch it? And one of the best ways we've figured out to stretch it is to create permanent funds. And now we have about a half a dozen of these permanent funds that have money that we're not spending this year, but that's sitting there and it's being invested. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the idea. So we have a permanent fund for early childhood. That fund was started with $300 million four years ago. This year, it will be $6 billion in that fund. Last year, we created a $100 million legacy fund for environmental programs. We have a 50, what I hope to be a $50 million fund for rural libraries, all of them operating on that same principle of spending the excess, the interest, not the excess, but the interest every year, but not touching the capital. Um, and, and there's several proposals now for more of such funds. And I think that that is a smart way of doing it, but the pressure is, we'll stop stashing that money away, let's spend it this year. And I have that same temptation. I'd like to see things change right away. But keep in mind that some of our most prosperous states have zero oil and gas revenue. New York doesn't have any oil and gas to speak of, nothing like we have. And yet they're very prosperous and state government has a lot of money. They figured out how to make money on something other than just extractive industries, pulling natural resources out of the ground. So we need to do that. We need to build up our, our on a broad basis, our economy, technology companies, more money in education is always going to be a good investment. More money in healthcare so that our people live longer and can be more productive, that's going to be a good investment. So our kids grow up. We have, we have way too many of our children, infants, dying before they reach school age. And then we have a whole bunch of others getting into school but never graduating so that we're not getting the benefit of a good, robust education system. All of this is, is an investment. If we put our money in those things, when oil and gas goes away, we'll have a way to pay the bills in this state. And we'll have a way with, with geothermal oil, I mean, um, uh, solar and, and wind to provide power without having to rely on oil and gas. Wow, sounds like a tricky situation on how to yeah. pay budgets and stuff. Senator, I understand this is your last legislative session before your retirement. You have been in service for many years, is there anything you would like to share with our listeners on the journey that you've been committed to? Great question. Um, yeah, one of the things that, that, that keeps you from getting discouraged at the legislature, because it, it can be very frustrating to put a lot of energy into one of these bills and then to see it die or get vetoed or just get run out of time and it doesn't get heard the last day. You've, you've got it through all the committees and the floor of one house, you get over to the other house and you get it through two or three committees, it's on the floor and it's the last day and they never get to it. And the clock strikes 12 and it ends. And then you come back the next year and you have to start again from scratch. You can't just bring it up again right at the end of the, it has to start the whole journey all over again. That can be very discouraging. So one of the things that, that, that helps is the knowledge that this is not a one-year process. This is not a two or three-year process. And over the years, I've, I've watched some of my colleagues work on a bill for eight, 10, 12 years before it passes. When we eliminated cockfighting in this state, Senator Mary Jane Garcia, who just died this, this week, incidentally, 
when we we when we, when I watched her do that fight and lose, and then bring it up the next year and do the fight and get it a little closer and lose, and never give up, never get discouraged, and finally it passed and she burst into tears when it passed because she never gave up, and that's the key thing I think. Oh, the same thing with um, ending the death penalty in the state. Uh, Representative uh, Gail Chasey led that fight, and. Over and over, she'd bring it up and oh, laugh, they'd laugh her out. Oh, you're just soft on crime. Don't be a namby-pamby. What are you thinking? They would just kill it, kill it, kill it. She never gave up. And finally, it passed. And it's made a huge difference in this state. Um, the message was, don't get discouraged. So when I see my bills failing right at the end or never even getting a good hearing, uh, I just think of those two women and their and the efforts they made on getting their bills and a lot of other senators that it took many years to get something through. And you, you, you just find that as being very, very supportive of not, not losing heart, staying at it and fighting for it. It's amazing. Well, Senator Tisipino, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm really grateful that you're here. Uh, I really love the way that you speak. Uh, like your voice is filled with passion for what you do. And it's noticed like you've done so much work for our communities that uh, that have benefited all of us. So thank well, you thank so much you. for everything. And and we're all gonna be looking at you and Adi and Barbara and the other members of Generation Justice to pick up that torch and keep it moving forward. So it's so important that you're interested in these topics. Thank you. Thank you. For Generation Justice, I'm Sajendro Alcaba. Senator T.Z. Pino. Thank you for your long-term contribution to our state. It is heartfelt and appreciated. Thank you, Senator Ortiz Pino, for your passion in strengthening and bettering our communities. I'm glad to hear about everything you have done to support New Mexico, and I wish you the best for this year's session and your future ventures. Here is another song before our next wonderful interview, the Trini Lopez version of If I Had a Hammer. A social justice song first written in 1949 in support of the progressive movement. Welcome back to Generation Justice's 2024 Legislative Session Breakdown. Now we bring you an interview with Senator Linda Lopez. Senator Lopez has been representing District 11 in the New Mexico State Senate for 27 years and currently serves in the Senate Rules Committee and the Senate Tax, Business, and Transportation Committee. Tonight, we interview her about her role, vision, and plans for this year's legislative session, as well as her work in support of New Mexico and its residents. Here is Eve Nanez speaking with Senator Linda Lopez. This is Eve Nanez with Generation Justice, and today I'm speaking with Senator Linda Lopez of District 11. Born and raised in Albuquerque, Senator Linda Lopez has served in the New Mexico State Senate for 27 years, representing District 11. She currently serves on the Senate Rules Committee and the Senate Tax, Business, and Transportation Committee. Senator Linda Lopez, welcome to Generation Justice. 
thank you so very much for the honor to be here. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Uh, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, I, of course, as you've mentioned, I'm a local, born and raised here in Albuquerque. Um, I did attend uh, the uh, University of New Mexico for a year. Uh, I did happen to not pass my classes and then switched over to the College of Santa Fe, where I did receive my bachelor's degree and I did receive a master's degree. Uh, was accepted to the UNM School of Law, but had to leave in my second year of law school to take care of my mother, which is part of who um, I am and what my my family and culture is. I'm also a single parent. Um, I have a son who is now 22 years old, and I have a daughter who will be who's 11 years old. That's amazing to hear that you know the despite the you know difficult decision to leave, you went and to carry your mother. Um, and I think that's something that like my family can also relate to. Um, what can mm -hmm. you Mexicans expect in this year's legislative session? Well, this is, uh, it's a 30 day session um, every other year. So this is uh, 2024. So in the even years, we have 30 day sessions, which are primarily uh, looking just at the state budget. It's a financial session for 30 days. Uh, it does allow the governor um, to put on his or her agenda uh, bills that can be heard uh, and moved through, hopefully, if that's you know, what the legislature decides uh, to complement whatever the governor's uh, agenda will be for this particular 30-day session. Hmm. What specific legislation are you sponsoring right now? Well, um, during the 30-day session, as I mentioned, you know, the governor well, you know, we have Governor Lujan Grisham, so she she'll have her agenda, which we will know more of. You know, as as the session continues, she'll continue to add more uh, messages uh, for those of us who are petitioning to have one of our bills heard, because it's not a finance bill, right? Not something that needs money through the the budget directly. I will be introducing a few measures. Uh, one of them deals with the missing, murdered Indigenous women. Uh, which is a big issue in the state of New Mexico and across our country. Um, and I'm working, of course, with Senator Pinto, Shannon Pinto, on a uh, specific bill that is reconstituting the MMIWR task force and uh, putting it, placing it under the direction of our attorney general's office. So that's one. I will be also be introducing with some of my colleagues in, in both chambers, uh, a measure uh, looking at uh, studying, uh, gathering all of the information that we have on Children, Youth, and Families Department and seeing how it needs to be reorganized, what we need to do to strengthen and make positive changes to protect our children and uh, families and you know provide some safety, but also some guidance and support services for families. So that's another measure. Uh, there's also be another measure to uh, change the, through the Constitution, which is called a joint resolution bill, asking the voters to approve where we change uh, the system we currently have for the legislature, which means instead of a 60 day, which is open for any kind of legislation, and then the 30 day, which is currently what we are currently in for this year of 2024, it would change it to have 60 days every year. So it essentially takes out under the guidance control of the governor and gives it to the legislature 
where we can introduce the necessary pieces of legislation. Because during my tenure in the legislature, um, society is changing too fast and we can't wait every two years to have a bill introduced or a series of bills to address the needs of our communities. And there's another um, measure, which I know we're asking the governor, of course, for her consideration to place it on her call, but that's dealing with rent control issues, especially for many of our families who cannot afford rent increases, whether it be in a home that they're renting or an apartment. Uh, many of our families, as you know, um, live paycheck to paycheck. And we're just asking for um, working with the People's Housing Coalition. We're just asking for uh, the prohibition at the state level to remove it, allowing local government to make up their own decision, whether it's you know through their own ordinance uh, to change and help people who need some assistance with regards to um, stopping the the increases of rent. I mean, there's I could go on forever on that one, but those are some of the major ones at this point. Um, there's some with UNMH. I mean, they'll there'll be a series, but those are the highlights at this point. Um, I guess connected to that, what other legislation do you hope makes it through this year? Well, as you know, there are some, some issues, of course. I know one of them, of course, the governor's been very public on already, is dealing with um, assault weapons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, issues of, of gun violence are very much alive and well. Um, in the state of New Mexico, but across this country and actually around the world. But the, I, I know that I'm hoping that some of those bills will pass. Um, I don't know specifically um, they're being introduced. I don't know specifically some of the sponsors, but I know I will be signing on to a couple of the bills as a co-sponsor, um, banning assault weapons. Um, I know that there will be some legislation, again, proposed by the governor uh, for um, housing affordable housing uh, in the state of New Mexico to try and address the shortage that we do have, but it still doesn't go far enough, which is why we're doing this rent control uh, prohibition, removal of it. Um, and of course, issues on where we need to place and, and put our tax dollars to work in the state government. So those are some of the highlights. And I know crime is a big issue, but uh, there's a whole other um, waiting still to see what bills will be introduced and uh, not all of them are gonna be good. Um, we still need to look as to what we can do to um, support uh, youth leadership development, working with our young people and families, making sure that there's support services, not just in Albuquerque, but across the state. Uh, what are some of your other concerns that you have for this legislative session? Well, some of the concerns, of course, is uh, where the monies um, are gonna be directed, how much money, right is being given for certain areas of, of state government. Of course, uh, for, for my agenda over the years and for many of my colleagues too, is supporting families and seeing what we can do, whether it be you know the uh, child tax credit, making sure that there's still money to support that. Um, there's also issues about healthcare access, mental health access. How do we put monies in to take care of and support the infrastructure, uh, which means buildings, right? Brick and mortar uh, for places. I mean, Albuquerque, the Rio Grande corridor, we're lucky because we have a bit more access to services. But when you look at rural New Mexico, 
uh, they're very shorthanded in staff, in locations, places, brick and mortar uh, for services for our communities. And it, those are some of the areas that I'm looking at and I know that are concerned. There are some concerns um, with regards to the education budget and specifically how we are helping children who um, are in special education have a learning disability, um, seeing what we can do to, to help those students. Um, those are some of the issues specifically in that area. Uh, we're also looking at children, youth, and families, what we're doing for issues around juvenile justice, support services for those young people, and also for children who may be on the verge of entering the system. So, you know, those are big ticket items. Looking at the Department of Health for public health issues, uh, making sure that there's money put in, but also still seeing how, how the money is being spent across the state. So it, it gives us a small window, an opportunity to look, uh, place money in the budget for that, but also asking for and where's the accountability of how our monies are being spent. I, you talked a little bit about this earlier about, you know, some of the legislation that you're sponsoring um, for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, and I think as an Indigenous person, as a tribal person, um, I'm really glad that you're taking this up as an issue and some of, you know, these other issues that you're talking about, um, things that we need to look at, um, they directly affect our community. Um, so thank you so much for, you know, prioritizing that. Um, You've been a proponent of youth engagement in developing legislation and policy. Why is this important to you? Our young people are leaders. Mm -hmm. Our young people have vision. Our young people understand much more about society today than some of us uh, older persons. And I believe that there's an opportunity for those of us who've been around a bit in sharing our wisdom and giving guidance and working with and listening to um, those of you uh, who definitely uh, are up and coming, who are current in life today. We have to invest in our young people. Uh, it, it's kind of passing the baton, as they say. It's, it's passing on um, what we've learned to the next generation. It's, it's something that we have to continuously work on uh, because as one gets older, we don't quite stay in touch. We come with us our own experiences from our time of when growing up, and sometimes it doesn't meet the need of the current generation. And listening to, working with, and learning from our younger generations is, I think, what helps society to move forward. So that's why I and many of my colleagues support investing in our, in our young people. Thank you so much for that. Um, where can people find more information about the New Mexico legislative session and some of the specific bills that you mentioned today? Where you can go is to nmlegis.gov, newmexicolegis.gov. So it's nmlegis.gov. It'll take a little bit for you to sit there and kind of just go through the different website. You'll see on the dashboard, you know, it has... Um, legislation, legislators, if you don't know who your, your state representative or state senator is, you can go through and put in your address and they'll tell you, right? Um, there's also a section that'll talk about legislation. You can click on that on what's currently being introduced either in the House or the Senate. 
um, there's a, a space on there where you can also click on to look at for um, more information on the governor's office. It, it, it's a good place to go um, do some research. And you can also watch us online. There's a, a webcast uh, icon. You can look under committees. And if the committee is hearing that particular day, there's a schedule. You can click on it and watch each committee and listen to what is actually being presented in a bill, the questions being asked, and how the vote takes place. Thank you. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we start to wrap up? What I would strongly suggest is we need to hear from you, um, our young people. We need to hear from middle-aged and older. Uh, we are here to represent you. And one thing I know that um, has been said over the years is that our young people don't pay taxes. They don't, you know, the list is long, but you do pay taxes. Remember, every time you go to the store, you pay tax on whatever it is you're purchasing. You're a taxpayer. We need to listen to our young people because again, you have current today existing experience about um, changes that need to be made. You need to come and talk to us. If you have an opportunity to come to the roundhouse, please come and look us up, talk to us. We're here to listen to you. And even if after session, there's something that comes up, if you go to nmlegis.gov, you have some contact information where you can contact us send us an email to our legislative um, email and stay in touch. It's an opportunity that you have. We are a citizen legislature. <laughs> we don't get paid for this job. We don't receive a salary. So this is truly a volunteer uh, job, but we're here working for you. And it's an honor for all of us to be elected to represent our communities. And I'm honored very much to have been sent back uh, a few times uh, to represent um, my South Valley and Southwest Mesa people. Thank you so much for your time today, uh, Senator Lopez. Um, I just wanna say I, I greatly admire you um, and your advocacy for young people, everything that you've done for the community. Um, just, I'm so grateful for everything that you do and for taking the time to talk with us today. That well, thank you. Yeah, I am so glad that we got to speak with you. For Generation Justice, I'm Eve Nines. Senator Lopez, thank you for taking the time to speak with us in the midst of this short but busy legislative session. You continue to work hard to benefit our state, and it is inspiring to hear. Thank you again for your dedication and work. Thank you, Senator Lopez, for your advocacy and support of young New Mexicans. It's inspiring and your commitment to the people of our state does not go unnoticed. Here's Mujeres Valientes by Los Lobos and Friends. Andres Esquivel was born in Chihuahua and has lived in the U.S. since the age of two. They have been working with the New Mexico Dream Team since 2019. Tonight, we interview them about the Dignity Not Detention Act. Now here is Barbara Ramirez speaking with Andres Esquivel. Enjoy. This is Barbara Ramirez with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Andres Esquivel. 
Campaigns Manager at the New Mexico Dream Team. Andres, welcome to Generation Justice. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Please tell us more about yourself. I'm Andres. I am the Campaigns Manager with the Dream Team. Um, originally, I was born in Chihuahua, Chihuahua, Mexico. And uh, my family migrated here when, um, when I was just two years old. Um, and we came first with a tourist visa, um, but we just overstayed it and uh, we became undocumented. And I still remain to be undocumented 23 years later. I am 25 now. So 2001, I was two years old. For me, um, growing up undocumented as well, um, it kind of, um, it didn't really hit entirely up until like I was um, in high school. You know, before that, I would just sort of blend in with the majority Hispanic students here in New Mexico. Uh, but uh, but when I got to high school, I started noticing all my friends, all my classmates, apply for all these scholarships, go into colleges out of state. And I really wanted to be part of it. But um, unfortunately, because of my status and the lack of a social security number, I was not eligible for a lot of um, a lot of these uh, a lot of these scholarships, such as FAFSA, right? And I wasn't able to go to schools out of state because of how expensive they are, right? Um, but luckily, I was able to go to UNM. I graduated in in December of 2020 with a bachelor's in political science and a minor in Chicano Chicana studies. Um, and yeah, I've been with the New Mexico Dream Team starting in 2019. Um, I was still a student at the university. I was part of a program called Service Corps with the UNM Community Engagement Center. And I started off as a, the education justice organizer, well, education justice fellow, and then later on I became the or I became the organizer with with an education justice. And June of last year, actually, I became the campaigns manager. Um, and yeah, it's really exciting since uh, I get to work a little bit with within my degree of political science, right? Andres, thank you so much for trusting us with your story. It's so inspiring that you graduated and you continue to do this important work for our community. Please um, explain more about the Dignity Not Detention Bill, also known as DND. Yeah, so for a little bit of background, New Mexico, we have three immigrant detention centers um, throughout the state. These these uh, detention centers are the Cibola County Correctional Center, the Otero County Processing Center, and the Torrance County Detention Facilities. Um, as as I'm pretty sure a majority of you all have heard on the news that um, you know the conditions in these immigrant detention centers is not the best. You know they have they have rats running around, they have cockroaches running around, right? Um, there's a lot of interference when it comes to access to lawyers. The healthcare in these detention centers is extremely inadequate, and as a result, we have seen deaths within these detention centers. And not only does it harm the people who are housed in these detention centers, but it also harms the rural communities that house these, these detention centers, right? Um, at the end of the day, it inhibits economic prosperity in rural counties and creates an, a dependent, dependency and unwillingness to diversify um, its industries, right? I've been to, I, I haven't been to um, any of the detention centers like inside, but I once drove by the detention center in Torrance County in Estancia, New Mexico. And really there is nothing to do in, in Estancia. Um, if you're looking for any sort of job opportunity, 
the only opportunity that there seems to be is you work at the at the detention center or um you drive to Albuquerque um which is like it seems like it's uh, about 30 minutes away from from Estancia um so that's a little bit of background um and so what does the dignity not detention act do it prohibits New Mexico public ent entities from entering into contracts that detain people for any civil immigration violations. It requires any New Mexico public entities with existing detention agreements to exercise the termination provision in those contracts and also prevents any other arrangements or agreements by New Mexico public entities from, from helping establish and operate facilities to detain people for civil immigration violations. And so... If this law is passed this year in 2024, um, it would it would require that any contract termination provisions um, would be exercised by May 15th, 2024. So basically close down the detention, the detention centers by May 15th, 2024. Thank you so much for providing the context and also for explaining the, the bill to us, Andres. Who is uh, sponsoring the bill as of right now? As of right now, our lead sponsors are Katie, our Senator Katie Duhigg and Representative Eleanor Chavez. Um, in terms of co-sponsors, we also have the support of Senator Jerry Ortiz Pino, Senator Antoinette Cedillo Lopez, um, Senator Harold Pope, um, Senator Mo Maestas, Representative Christine Chandler, Representative Andrea Romero, Representative Angelica Rubio, Representative Yanira Gurola, and Representative Janelle An Anyanonu. Um, we also have the support from the Speaker of the House, Javier Martinez, and also the Governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. Andres, we know that the legislative session is in progress and things um, continue to shift every day. Where can people go to follow this bill and learn about updates on it? Basically, so New Mexico Dream Team is part of this the coalition to support this, this bill. Uh, I believe we'll be we'll be posting the updates as they keep going, where the bill is headed, what the bill number is as it stands right now. We don't have a bill number, but once we have a bill number, um, you can go into nmlegis.gov and um, look up the look up the house bill and whatever number that we're gonna get. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up our conversation? Um. Just uh, um, to make sure you call your legislator who represents you, represents your district and let them know that you support the Dignity Not Detention Act. And um, yeah, follow, follow New Mexico Dream Team, um, also the Dignity Not Detention Coalition, as well as each member of the, of the coalition, right? Such as the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center, Las Americas, um, and uh, Innovation Law Lab, those are some of the partners that are that are working with us in this in this broader coalition um, to end to end immigrant detention in New Mexico. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Andres Esquivel from the New Mexico Dream Team. I really appreciate your openness and your honesty and for sharing about why it's vital to have this act passed. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. For Generation Justice, I'm Barbara Ramirez. Andres, thank you for sharing more about the Dignity Not Detention Act. And thank you to our interviewer, Barbara Ramirez.
Viral illnesses such as COVID-19, the flu, and RSV are still being spread. Welcome to this week's Vaccine Equity Updates. COVID-19 Omicron variant, JN1, still makes up most of the positive cases in the U.S. at about 60%. And with colder weather still persisting, viral illnesses like JN1 are still being passed from person to person. As a reminder, cold weather lowers your immune system's ability to fight viral infections. That's right. But how can we keep staying safe? Great question. Keep wearing KN95 masks, stay vaccinated, and make sure you are using air purification devices. And remember, stay home if you feel sick. Use these tips to help you stay safe, happy, and healthy this year. Join us next Sunday for more vaccine equity information. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of education. We'd like to thank our guests, Senator Jerry Ortiz-Pino, Senator Linda Lopez, and Andres Esquivel. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Real and Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Ariana Cordova. And thank you to our interviewers, Saihen, Ruva Caba, and Eve Nanez. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which is also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow our playlist on Spotify. Generation Justice is founded by the WK K-Log Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. The New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau through the Better Together Coalition and the McCune Foundation. As well as Media Justice, the Santa Fe Community Foundation, and of course, all of you who've contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking Donate. Our opening song is Youth of a Nation by P.O.D. I'm Brad Lewis. And I'm Ariana Cordova. Coming up next on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico.